Hola, soy Miguel Montos González. Firme Cuentos y Arte Podcast. From a Hinted Perspective. Eastern Washington. Yeah. <laughs> Man. Yeah, you know, it, when it comes to bicultural art, or when it comes to artwork, there, there's a bit of a message in the work itself. The symbolism of the medium that the work is made out of, the method of putting the work together and assembling it somehow, and of course the visual imagery itself, that, that message. So there's, there's quite a bit in making your artwork. Typically, when you think of an artist, you know, you think of a person with brushes and, you know, a canvas, and they're adding paint to the canvas, and they're putting layer upon layer upon layer, you're blending colors with these multiple layers kind of coming back and forth into each other, and that's typically what people would think of as an artist, as a painter, for example, that the blending of the colors or the color scheme, the subject matter, all of that can be a part of, of the message in artwork. And I, when I talk about art in general, regardless of whether it's a painting or a photograph, or mixed media, or sculpture, music, uh, performance piece, uh, spoken word, uh, poem written down, you know, it's, it's all, I guess you could say, it's also, there's some very similar things that can be a part of the work, and, and regardless of that medium, is the fact that, you know, it's coming from a person's mind, it's coming from a person's heart, from a person's experiences, so there's that commonality in art overall. Now, what makes the work different is it depends on the experiences of the individual you've got a person that has been, let's just say it, they've been poor for most of their life, they've had family hardships, they've had struggles, you know, battles with addiction, they've had, they've had a, a challenge to be alive, then you tend to see that in their art, you tend to see their challenges Regardless of what work they're making, they could make sunshine and rainbows. <laughs> oh yeah, they could make some some very flowery work. But then, you know, you you get to know the artist, and you're thinking, wow, okay, so how is this artist expressing themselves? If they had such a uh, a hardship and such a challenging life. Why are they painting unicorns and rainbows and, and 
happy faces? Why aren't they making this? And that's where people can just see the work at, at its surface. It's what it, it, it looks like aesthetically. But if you read into the work and you really you get to know the artist, you get to really look at the work and everything, how it, it could look random, but it's actually quite strategic. Subconsciously, they're very strategic about what they do, like anything else. However, you see that work, and you, you look at it, and you study it, and you see that amongst all the, the rainbows, and all the pretty, and all the flowery, within it, you look at, at the color scheme, you look at the structure, you look at the way it was painted, the way it was, it was created, regardless of the medium, but you look at that work, and then you can learn to see that it's actually about the suffrage they experienced. It's actually about that hardship. It's about the relationship they had with the people that, you know, were a part of their lives. And those relationships could be good or bad, even though they had hardship in their life. They still had somebody that cared for them. For example, they still received love. They, you know, they were still cared for by someone at some point. But if you look into the work, and of course you talk with the artist and you learn their story, that's where you can see everything. It's like a veil is lifted and you can see everything in that art so crystal clear. And when it comes to to, to art in general, regardless of whether it's culturally racially inspired or not, it, you can see what is happening in the artist at that time in their life. Yeah. So, in all this, art really does imitate life, I think. You know, in for example, in my artwork, in my combination of photography and illustration, everything's intentional. Everything has a purpose. Now, I don't sit here and and plan out what I'm going to do. I don't plan my art. I just kind of start putting something together based on the photographs that I take. You know, it's, it's something that I see that inspires me. And then, after that, you know, the, the drawing takes shape and things just kind of happen. You know, or if I start off with a drawing then it's just a thought or a memory sometimes of something that I've experienced in my life that becomes something real, something that I can share with people. Like, for example, you've got one piece in particular that I can talk about. It is uh, the Hano in Spokane. And that's where it's in Manitou Park is the setting. Uh, Rose Garden, and there's a man in a white shirt, blue jeans, you know, western style boots, hat, you know, western style hat, and a big, you know, Texas belt buckle kind of thing, and he's playing accordion, you know, and he's walking through the park, and when I, I created this, I took this photograph, probably 
first year I was I was here, I just took a photograph and it took a while to get it processed because I couldn't find a lab. And then that just kind of stayed in, in the roll of film for a while, maybe a year or two. And so after I, I captured that scenery, I remember I had some thoughts about family. And this is years later. So about two years later, I had thoughts about family. And I thought, wow, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm just thinking of family and thinking of moments and memories of what we've experienced. And I think, wow, I wonder about the people here. I wonder what their memories are like. I wonder if they have memories like this here, <laughs> you know. And essentially, that, that drawing is based on my uncle and how when he would get drunk at like a family barbecue, <laughs> he would walk around playing accordion and singing. But the thing is, he was never really very good when he was drunk. <laughs> so it was kind of like, you know, people, <laughs> there are two types of people now. He was doing his thing, right? And then my dad, he'd, he'd egg him on. He's all, dale, dale, dale. And everybody's like, no, he sounds bad. And they'd go to him and they'd like start try taking the other way. He's like, no, no, dale, ah. And he's like, keep playing and he'd be off key and his singing would be really bad. And my dad's like, you know, dale, dale, dale. he'd just like egging him on, you know. And yeah, well, anyway, <laughs> I don't know if we all have family like that, but I mean, that's my family pool. <laughs> so anyway, uh, you know, so anyway, we, there, it's just thinking of those moments, thinking of those family times of when I was a kid, and I was, I was a pretty young kid when that happened, that, you know, I, I wonder what will the memories be like having lived in Spokane, okay, having lived here where Chicanoism, you don't see it, it doesn't exist here, where Latinidad is in danger of being erased because of, of the lack of, of the ability to speak the language and express the language and read the language on a daily basis, you know, hear the language. I mean, with the radio station coming in now, that's great. Yeah, we do have a bilingual paper. Yeah, that's good. But I'm talking about children, you know. I'm talking about children experiencing that language and the culture. And what would it be like for them growing up here? You know, they go to school. How much Spanish do they hear in school? Really? You know, they, they're, they're, it's, they're at a greater risk of, of losing that language and losing that heritage because of being in an English-dominant, white-dominant community. And in San Antonio, and I'm sure there are other places like it, but Spanish was so openly heard, even in the schools, as a kid. school, you'd have recess, and you'd hear kids openly 
speaking Spanish to each other, playing games in Spanish. And that was, to me, that was the norm. That was the routine. That was, it's in my mind, I thought everybody's life was like that, you know? But I come here and I see the kids in elementary school, everybody's speaking English. And for those kids that speak a second language, you wouldn't even know it because you very seldom hear it. You know? And that's where I feel that bilingualism, that biculturalism can suffer here. And it makes me wonder what they're going to grow up like. What will they be like? I don't know. That's something that I just think of from time to time. And as I was talking about artwork and how your experiences shape the work that you make, well, when it comes to these children, what will their experiences shape when they become the adults in, in the future? How will that affect the future of bicultural, biracial people in Eastern Washington? That's where, you know, I think of what influenced me as a kid having the parents that I had, you know, painter, photographer, that inspired me to do what I do today. And I remember having talks with my mom about the symbolism of color and how colors have emotions, colors have meanings. I remember having those talks with her again, I was a kid. Understanding the hue of a color, the saturation of a color, and understanding, you know, between strong colors and soft colors, and understanding how to apply that in, in expressing yourself. And, you know, I, I think about that, and I think, who's here to teach these kids? You know, I mean, other than their parents or their family at home, grandparents, and uncles. I mean, are they sharing that that heritage with them? Are they teaching them that language? Those culture cultural traditions, you know, those holiday seasonal type of, of traditions, are they teaching them that? I don't know. I don't know. And do they have place to, to celebrate them with a community. No, they don't. So it's kind of hard for them to get their their culture out of their house and connect with other like cultural people because they don't have the space to engage in that. So, yeah, those are just the things that I think about. When it comes to art, art I believe it does imitate life. You know, I think it projects what we experience in our life. It, it is life. It's a visual archive of the human history, I feel, of the family history, of, of our social and political history. It's, it's a way we record what we feel, what we see, what we're just immersed in 
put that down on our canvas or we take that photograph, you know, we make that, that structural piece that whatever it is, you know, we carve that image into wood to make a print to press it down on paper, cloth, and, you know, we, we put, we put the work in art to create the artwork. Because regardless of how you, you look at a piece, you know, it does take work to create it. It takes a painter time and effort to be able to put that, that image that they have in their mind to put it down on a canvas. You know, the same thing with taking a photograph. They say, oh, well, you just take the picture and there it is. No, not necessarily. <laughs> no. You know, if you were, if you're photographing with your phone, yeah. But even then, to get the image exactly as you want, you still have to work to a certain degree. You know, I mean, like for example, with film, I have film that I photographed this year and the lighter part of last year that I haven't been able to process yet because I need to send it somewhere. That I need to do. I need to send my film somewhere to be processed until I have the, the time and the money and everything I need to make a dark room in my house. I've got to have my film processed somewhere. So I have, gosh, hundreds of pieces I haven't even made yet waiting on me. Yeah. So it, it takes time when it comes to, to making a print and you've got to, to prepare that base, that wooden base, that panel, you know, it takes time to, to draw it out and in your mind you see where the colors are going to be, you make the relief and you put things together that, you know, it, again, all of this takes time to, to in your mind to create that, that image and then to, to translate it and put it down on a physical surface to make it something that can be put on a wall or put up on a pedestal and, you know, or set onto the ground and make that finished piece. It's a bit of a process like anything else as it is in, in our lives. Our lives are a process. You know, we don't just, we're not just born and then all of a sudden we're at work no, we have to go through being children. We have to go through our innocence, and then we go through losing our innocence, and then we go through learning from there the rest of our adult life. So, yeah, I mean, like everything, it, it is a process. And in artwork, regardless of the medium, it's something that I feel should be respected. It's something that I feel deserves its place also as a career field because it is work. You know, it's not art play. It's not art slack. <laughs> it's art work. Yeah, artistic work. Creative effort. It's, it is. It's labor. It's made by hand by the mind and made by the hand that it it, bec 
becomes it becomes something real. But it, like I said, it is it is work. It's a job, like anything else. And when you think about it, the people that that do this work, well, they have the unique skill set to be able to do that. Because not just anybody can do that. You know, it's like being a banker and being really good at numbers that you speak the language of numbers and in your mind you see how to project and work with statistics and that those analytics you have that in mind that in itself is a skill set if you're a welder and you you know you understand the skill and the technique of pushing or pulling a weld and whether you're going to weld with a stick or what you're going to do you know it's different that in itself is a skill set you know not to say nobody can learn how to do it oh you can learn will you be very good at it maybe I don't know don't know till you find out but there are some people that they pick up a welding torch they may not have been to school but after just being talked to, saying, okay, this is how you want to do it, you want to put you this and set it like that, and you want to be this way, and then their mind and their hands, they just communicate in some amazing way that they have this skill. And they just, they just weld, they just work. Oh yeah, they just have that skill set. Same thing with an artist. Anybody can take drawing classes. Anybody can, you know, pick up a brush and start just slapping it on canvas or pick up a camera and just take pictures. Shit, you do it with your phone all the time. <laughs> but, you know, I mean, anybody can do that. But can they make an image? You know, that was one thing I remember my dad talked to me about was taking pictures versus making a print. Yeah, he's like, anybody can pick a, a camera. Anybody can be told how to set their camera. You know, you can point it at anything and you can take a picture. Anybody can do that. If you have hands, if you have the strength to lift something, you got, you know, a finger or something to press that shutter button, anybody can do it. But it takes a true artist to make an image, to create that print. Which is why, and as I've mentioned in other episodes before, why he allowed me to come into the darkroom to understand the concept of exposure and understand the importance of having the right negative and the way it needs to be before just holding a camera and taking pictures and getting distracted by the the, the fun and the excitement of taking pictures. You know, it had nothing to do with taking them. It had to do everything about making them. How do you make that image? You gotta learn. You gotta work. And either you're gonna have that skill or not. And it turns out that I did. I had that skill. And I had that desire. I had that passion to make prints. You know. Was it something I inherited or something that I wanted so badly that I had such an interest and a desire for that I, I pushed myself to create that skill. Who knows? 
who knows, it comes from, from many ways. Either somebody has that desire to, to make it happen, or somebody's just born with it. <laughs> that's the interesting thing about art. That's the interesting thing about just being a person and the skill of the things that we do. So, yeah, that is my talk about art. It's about what goes into making work. Sometimes artists just draw what they see. They just draw, you know, the pine trees and the hills and the mountains, and it looks pretty. And other times people will paint the same thing but it'll have a different meaning you know it can so there's more to art than what you just see on the surface there can be a lot more and that's one thing that I wish the Spokane art community could explore a little more because when for example when I make the work that I do it's more than just a guy walking through a rose garden playing the accordion the majority of of white people that see that they think it's funny well it wasn't intended to be funny no 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 the intention and the message behind that is cultural pride and regardless of where you go in your life you should always be true to yourself. Because no matter where you go, there you are. That's who you are. That's what you're going to be. That's what you were born to be. Yeah. There's no need to, to hide the language you speak. Try to dress in a different way to look more local. No. Be who you are in every aspect. That's, that's what this piece is about. That confidence to be who you are. What am I? I'm a Tejano. And I'm in Spokane. To me, that man that represents my uncle and him wanting to be what he wanted to be. You know, he he wanted to play the accordion. He wanted to walk proud. He was drunk, but he he still, he was who he was didn't succumb to anybody's expectations other than himself. He was his own original self, regardless. And I see that, and I think of him, and I think of of how I'm engaging in the Spokane community. I am being myself. Yeah. And that's why I'm creating this podcast that that real talk dialogue of what it's really like being a brown person thinking and speaking and living in two languages, two cultures in a white dominated space yeah this is, this is the whole point and purpose of Firme this is the whole point and purpose of the work that I do of the artwork that I make you know, who I am so in that in that that image that I created for example that's the message is to be who you are 
wherever you are. <laughs> yeah, that's the message. But a lot of people that are not bicultural, that are not bilingual, that are not from some other place experiencing different cultural, you know, lifestyles, and then they come here, that they, they don't get that. They don't see that because they've never experienced it. It's not because they don't want to. It's not because, you know, they're not Mexican. They're not brown. They're not from San Anto. That has nothing to do with it. It's just the fact that they've never experienced what it's like to be bicultural, bilingual, biracial. They have never experienced it in their lives. So they don't know how to see it, they don't know how to experience it and understand it, that, you know, they, they can respect it, they can do that, that's good, that's good, and they can accept it for what it is and let somebody else be that, that's good too, but it's kind of hard to truly understand something that you've never been a part of, you know, it really takes an open mind and it really takes a sincere interest and a great amount of acceptance to to do so. And I feel it takes a very special person to not just appreciate and accept, but to be willing to learn and be a part of something as unique as that. Especially in an environment like we are in here. So... And all that, I say to you, do what you do, be who you are, siempre, and we'll be back again with some more cuentos, more arte, más culturas.